Welcome to the Mean Money Show. I'm Dan Barnes, Editorial Director of Markets Media Europe, and joining me is Shani Bassar, Senior Writer at Markets Media. Shani, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to speak to you again. So this week we're going to be talking about a letter. This is not a letter that's been stolen by the press, Meghan Markle. This is one which has been publicly disclosed by Jamie Dimon. What have you seen and what do you think about what is written there, Shani? Well, first of all, he's not allowed to call it a letter because there's 65 pages. So I think That's a short he should call it. Yeah, exactly. So I think he should call it something different. But apart from that, in all the bits that he wrote about, I thought I'd pick on his section on the competitive threats to banks, which he yep. titles Banks Enormous Competitive Threats from Virtually Every Angle. And he particularly highlights the competition from fintech and the big technology firms who are getting into bits of finance that aren't as heavily regulated. So he points out that the banks are taking kind of a much, he's got a chart about how the US and European banks are forming a much smaller portion of the financial system. Mm. What he says is, you know, he's all for open competition. But he does point out, which is, could be valid, that banks are regulated for a reason. And yes. so therefore, we're seeing a lot more risk moving out of the banking system into less regulated areas. And that's yes. kind of where he sees the danger. Well, that's absolutely right, isn't it? I mean, we've seen various scandals recently with payment fintech firms. We've seen yep. problems even with banks, which are, you know, have various business connections, people they're lending to, challenges with hedge funds being highly leveraged. I mean, you know, the non-banking area of finance has had a few problems over the last 12 months. It has, but I would argue that the big crisis always comes from banking making stupid decisions in lending. because yes. they. The bankers always complain about their risk managers and then they say, we're making all this money, just let us do what we want. Yeah. And it's especially with the recent hedge fund failure mm. where, you know, some banks had, the guy got like convicted for insider trading like 10 years ago. Yes. And then they still lent him billions of dollars. Yes. And they had enough risk to wipe out like a whole year's profit. I don't think banks can say, oh yeah, you know, we're much, much better than the shadow banking system. It is also worth pointing out that many large banks are, in fact, convicted felons in America. <laughs> I mean, well, I don't that's, know. That's, well, it's not an exaggeration. It's actually right, okay. the fact that they, they are actually convicted felons. Right. That does actually include JP Morgan. So right. when it comes to the banking sector, not faultless. However, he's arguing yep. that they've learned their lessons and others perhaps have not, I think. And I think part of his thing is that, you know, in terms of like being capitalised, like the banks obviously have to hold a lot more capital. Yeah than the fintech firms. But then you would also argue that that's, you know, for a good reason. <laughs> All their capital regulations got increased after the financial crisis. So does he come to any sort of conclusions about... The... Um, basically, I mean, he says, he points out that every bank is going to have to move to the cloud, basically, to, to compete. So he says all their applications and their associated data needs to be on the cloud. So data is enormously valuable. It needs to be digitally accessible. Yep. And banks need to spend the time and the money to make sure that they are serving their customers and providing them yeah, with all the, you know, they have to compete with the technology firms on the service they give to their customers, basically, in terms of data and being easy to access and making the data usable. And he points out that JP Morgan already uses AI quite a lot yeah. and that they're using machine learning, teaching all their stuff about machine learning. And he sounds like, he said they've got a lot of cash to spend and you pointed out that, you know, some of the areas they might spend in is fintech. So it sounds like they're looking for, like, if they're not going to partner with fintechs, and it, it sounds like he's going to spend money buying some as well. well I, I think that's some interesting points there. I mean, one is that cloud clearly is invaluable to businesses yeah. which are heavy users of data. JP Morgan is a very innovative bank and a great user of data, both for its own services and for supporting customers. 
Of course, that means it has to often rely upon third parties. Yep. The, you know, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, all the big cloud providers out there are offering services to financial services firms, but at the same time, potentially competing with them. So I can see that there's some tension there between the fintechs and the banks. Yeah. And I think the fintechs are like taking the kind of lucrative bits that like, for instance, with payments. So yes. that's like easy, like for instance, for myself, like since COVID and I've stopped using cash, I use my iPhone like to pay for everything basically. Yep. You know, cause they make it really easy. Yeah. So they're doing things that, and that's not like a, they don't need a lot of capital to do that. You know, it's easy for them to do. So I think it's, there's lots of parts of their business that banks are getting, is kind of getting stripped off and then the banks get left with the heavy capital, heavy risk, kind of less margin businesses. Now, one of the, the sort of obvious points to make is that with the scandals we've had recently, should perhaps governments and regulators be rethinking their uh, acceptance of some of these fintechs moving into spaces which typically were run by regulated and capitalised banks and instead of being run by uncapitalised firms who then leave everyone else exposed to their risk if they collapse? I think we need to look at, rather than saying we're going to regulate banks this way and fintechs this way, I think we should regulate it by activity. So depending like depending on what you do, so it doesn't matter. You know, so I think everyone should have the same regulation of certain activities. If you decide, like obviously with JP Morgan, if you're going to have a big trading floor, then you're going to be more regulated because you have a big trading floor. But there's other parts of the business where you shouldn't have more regulation just because it's in a bank versus a fintech is how I would look at it. Very good. Thank you. And then are there any other points from his letter that you wanted to raise that you thought we might run through? I concentrated on the bit on tech and fintech because mm-hmm. I, I didn't have time to read the other <laughs> millions of pages. But I think he was, you were interested in the part on China, I think. Yeah, I mean, it just it, it was it was interesting how he, I think, spoke of China as still being a key economic force and a real threat to other countries in terms of its economy becoming potentially dominant. China obviously has had innovative companies, Alibaba and Ant Financial as a subsidiary of Alibaba. Equally, it's faced some challenges with regulators in the country where they've not been happy with the business as it was being run and then publicly listed. And so the firm has had to withdraw its IPO and, and reschedule it pending certain regulatory changes. So it's interesting just to sort of pick up on those two points and perhaps contrast them when one looks at innovation, how easy it is perhaps in certain parts of the world, but then the risks that creates compared to challenges around innovation because regulators can be quite forceful and aggressive. Well, I'd argue that Chinese regulators are probably much more aggressive yeah. in certain circumstances than, than the US ones. But it's interesting, actually, because I was listening to a seminar with the DTCC today yeah. and someone was speaking about China and how, like, I think a third of the patents were, like, artificial intelligence. A third of the papers at a certain summit on artificial intelligence were from China. Yeah. And because the government thinks long-term and invests in technology like that, they're kind of moving further ahead. It's kind of not just economically, but, you know, technologically, there's a danger that they will move further ahead and they'll be dictating kind of the systems everyone uses. I mean, China has an actual target to become yeah. the dominant own AI. So that's that's an interesting example, I think. But you're you're quite right. It is interesting to see how that that technology is driven both by state investment as well as private investment in order to become a world leader. Yeah. And then I think we always talk about the danger of like fragmented markets. You know, we we could end up getting like a fragmented internet and that's going to bring extra cost and extra friction into the system rather than having like a, 
an open system for everyone. Yeah, that's great. Shani, thank you so much. Thank you very much. 